Hello and welcome back Think Anesthesia subscribers. My name is Amanda Shelby, uh, VTS and Anesthesia and Analgesia for Jurox Incorporated. In celebration of Veterinary Technician Week 2021, we are interviewing career veterinary technicians. I am honored to introduce Liz Houston. She has a master's in education. She is an RVT, CVT, LVT, all of the credentialing bodies here in the US for veterinary technicians. She is a BTS in small animal internal medicine and ECC. She serves as the Academy of Internal Medicine Veterinary Technician Credentialing Committee Chair and Webmaster. She is president of the National Veterinary Professionals Union, co-founder of Veterinary Cannabinoid Academy, serves as a member on the DVM 360 Editorial Advisory Board, and one of the administrators of Not One More Vet Support Staff Facebook group. She's a very busy individual, and we thank her for taking time to share with us some importance of being a veterinary technician and her career goals. Thank you so much for having me, Amanda. It's a real pleasure to be here with you. Thank you, Liz. We, we very much appreciate you taking time to speak with us. As a career veterinary technician, I'd like you to tell us a little bit more about Vet Tech Expert, starting with the description so that our listeners understand what it is and what fueled you to create such an organization. So a few years ago, I left clinical practice and looked around to figure out like what my next thing was going to be. Obviously, I'm involved in a lot of different things in the profession, but I thought, where am I going to go, you know, to do my work? Because I love clinical work. I just love that part of my, of my career. I also love teaching, educating, training. And so I took my, you know, experience and my skills that I got through my BTSs and my life experience in general with my teaching background. And I decided that I would start my own, it's just a DBA. So my like sole proprietorship where I do relief work and training and consulting for practices. And I do that for emergency and general practices. So if someone wanted to find more information on how they could maybe get you to come in and be a relief technician or learn more about some courses they can take from you to beef up some areas um, of expertise within their hospital and technical staff, where would they find some more information on your program? Thank you. For now, I just have the Facebook page. I actually took down my website during the pandemic because I'm not going into clinics during the pandemic. So I'm not working, I'm not doing physical in-person presentations at conferences or things like that. So everything is virtual right now. And so they can find me on Facebook at Vet Tech Expert. That's no E before the X, Vet Tech Expert. And that's at Facebook and they can just find it if they type that into the Facebook search bar. That's wonderful. I actually perused some of the lectures you have, and you had a very diverse group of lectures on there too, not just technical skill lectures, but some in other categorical areas like management and support staff sort of things. Critical thinking is a really big focus that I like to share with, especially newer uh, t technicians and, and assistants. I think that critical thinking is such an important part of being an effective veterinary technician. So that's something that I like to include in almost every lecture I do anyway, but I have a couple of that are focused just on that. That's So Liz, obviously you have some unique skills that you've developed outside of 
veterinary medicine, that being website development, being the webmaster for your organization, one of your credentialing bodies. Um, how would you suggest if someone is listening and says, you know, I have some technical skills outside of veterinary medicine, how do I go about leveraging those skills to benefit organizations I want to be more involved in? That's a great question. And I do get this question, I would say a good bit from technicians and assistants who are interested in expanding what they're doing. So a lot of what I did started as volunteer work a lot of what I do is still volunteer work, uh, but I volunteered, for example, at the practice where I was working, to, I volunteered to do their social media because they didn't have a Facebook page or any social media presence. So I started that and that kind of led me down the path of diving into how Facebook works, Facebook advertising, the groups, moderating groups. I was brought on as one of the admins of the ER Vet Tech Rounds group by the amazing David Liss. And so I learned a lot about how to manage a group, especially a large group, um, and how to you know, foster engagement and things like that. The webmaster stuff, I was volunteering for the Academy of Internal Medicine for veterinary technicians. And when I was on the board, we decided to do a whole website reboot. And we actually contracted with the social DVM, Caitlin DeWild, to do that work. So I worked really closely with her. It was my pet project as an executive board member. And so we worked really closely to get it going. And then I realized it's not really sustainable for us to use a outside organization to maintain our site, the things that we wanted on there, we wanted it to be pretty dynamic and updated pretty frequently. So it made more sense to bring it in-house. And so I just kind of taught myself with a lot of her help <laughs> into, you know, how to use the tools that were available, how to navigate through the system that she had chosen to host the site and how to work with that. And so that's how that came about. So I definitely wouldn't call myself a web developer, but I'm a good site maintenance person. <laughs> I, think, I think that's the best way to put it. I really enjoy that because I'm a pretty anal person. I like to have things look a certain way. I like it there to be consistency. And so I think that kind of mindset is good when you're working on an organization's website. So that really played to something that I enjoyed doing that I didn't really knew, know I would enjoy, but really it's all volunteer. Uh, and I think that is the best way to get started is there are organizations, your state technician association, even your own hospital, although I'm not a big proponent of volunteering to do things that benefit your employer without compensation, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but volunteering to take on some duties that are interesting to you and will give you the ability to develop your skills is a nice fit for a lot of folks. But again, these organizations, your state tech association, the national organization, if you're a, a BTS, your academy, they're all desperate for volunteers who are interested in learning new things or who bring those skills to the organization that can really help the organization then develop or offer new things. It's really tough, especially right now. A lot of us are so overworked, we're overburdened, it's stressful, and there's so much going on in the world, in our, in our lives, it's hard to imagine volunteering uh, and spending a lot of time doing something 
outside of work when you're exhausted. But if it's something that you want to broaden yourself in, volunteering is really a great way to do it. Yeah, and speaking of exhaustion, I'm, I'm going to jump to asking you about the Facebook group that you are one of the administrators of, the Not One More Vet Support Staff Facebook group. Yeah. And I said that very particularly because I want people to be able to go to that if they feel their need. I'm a member. Um, I've made posts. Obviously, prefer not to discuss those posts in an open forum, but um, we're there. <laughs> yes. And, and do you want to just tell us a little bit more about why that group is there and what you all as administrators hope to achieve. Thank you so much for asking about it. It's uh, something that's really near and dear to my heart. There's a group called Not One More Vet. It's actually also a 501c3 charitable organization. You can find more information about Not One More Vet at uh, www.nomv.org. They are an organization that is focused on mental health and suicide prevention, particularly among veterinarians. That's how it started. So that group began as a Facebook group, a, a peer support Facebook group. So after the suicide of Sophia Yin. So when people looked around these veterinarians, when it was really impactful, when that news came out and people were really disturbed by the idea that a veterinarian who seemed to be on such a forward trajectory in her career, just everything looked like upside from the outside. And they, these veterinarians thought, man, if it can happen to Sophia Yin, what hope do the rest of us have? She was a eminent veterinary behaviorist. She developed a ton of tools that we use every day in the clinic if you're practicing fear-free or low-stress handling. And so it was really devastating. And so it started as a support group, a, a Facebook group that was really focused on suicide prevention. And since then, it's really grown into the, just this huge peer support group about around mental health and well-being. And for years, I had been bugging the admins of the Not One More Vet group because they didn't allow support staff in the group. And they had really good cogent reasons to not do that. But I was really pushing saying technicians and assistants and other support workers, front desk workers, managers, we really need this for the rest of the staff. And I think they got kind of tired of me bugging them and were like, look, if you want to do it, like you need to find people to do it. And there were a couple of people who had been also bugging the Not One More Vet folks. And so we all got together and finally got it launched. Oh my gosh, it's coming up on our two-year anniversary of launching the support staff group. Our main mission is to provide a safe place for people to get support from their peers, particularly around issues of mental health suicide prevention, and all of the things that go along with that in our profession. We know they're doing research now as part of Not One More Vet. One of their big arms of the organization is to do research on suicidality, trauma, mental health in veterinary professionals. And they ran a study earlier this year where they really tried to dive a lot into diversity and intersectionality. And it's one of the first times that they have included veterinary support workers as kind of co-equal subjects of to look at suicidality and other kind of mental health issues in the veterinary profession. And what they found was really, really rough. We hear a lot about 
the risk among veterinarians and their increased suicide risk and all kinds of mental health issues on the veterinarian side. And what we're finding is all of those issues and more are found on the support side. And in fact, in some demographics of the support side are even more severe than they are on the veterinary side. Most notably male veterinary technicians. They appear to be at a much higher risk of suicide than um, anyone in the veterinary profession. So getting this research is important. The money that is you know, donated to NAMB helps them run all of their programs, including doing research like this that we can then take to develop tools to help people feel better, really. And peer support is a big part of that. And we're launching a new program. I'm hoping it will be live soon. That's going to be really focused peer support for people, not just a big Facebook group. I, I did find it challenging to find research. I, I, I found it non-existent, I'll be honest, to find yeah. research dedicated and published to the emotional and physical well-being of the veterinary support staff. So that's very encouraging to hear that we'll be having information coming. And hopefully that means that there'll be a more targeted effort to support um, all lives. You yes, know, all lives. Yes, exactly. And I think that is, it's something that was uh, really important for me, but what I love is that it was just as important for the board at Not One More Vet. In fact, they added veterinary support a member to the board of directors. So they are really committed to making sure that support staff are represented on every committee of the organization at every level from leading the organization all the way down to the people doing the work. So it is one of the only organizations that I'm in, that I'm involved in that has that focus, which I find incredibly refreshing. And it's so important because if we don't measure these things, then we don't know how to fix them. We don't know the tools that we need. We don't know how we need to target our efforts if we don't measure and know what we're up against. Yeah, we're scientists. We like data. That's exactly <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> so speaking of science, I'm going to switch yes. gears. So as co-founder in the Veterinary Cannabinoid Academy, and I'm going to disclose, I know very little about the use of this in veterinary medicine, but I do see more high quality research and evidence as well as funding dedicated to this area. I'm interested yeah. in knowing from your perspective, how do you see a veterinary technician's role in playing out in the development and marketing and client education of these products as they become more widely used or even approved for use um, in our veterinary species? Yeah. Uh, thank you. Great question again. So Stephen Satal and I co-founded this group called the Veterinary Cannabinoid Academy. We started it again as a Facebook group, and now we have a website and we're hoping to be offering some good educational offerings on that site. We don't have them yet <laughs> because again, Stephen is also very busy. <laughs> so we just haven't sat down and put it together, but the thing that we have accomplished is publication of a veterinary cannabis therapy textbook. So that textbook is available for purchase from Springer Nature. Stephen and I were two of the co-editors of the book, and it contains as much up-to-date research as we had at the time of publication, which was earlier this year. And we are really, really proud of that and providing some information and data and evidence into the veterinary marketplace for these 
for these substances because they are being used pretty frequently in veterinary species. Some people are using them without any guidance at all. Some veterinarians are comfortable discussing it with their clients and providing some education, but it can be a little bit of a slippery slope because cannabis, there's a lot of terminology in the industry, (laughs) but one form of cannabis, high THC cannabis, also known as marijuana, is illegal at the federal level. It is a scheduled one substance on the controlled substance list. Hemp, on the other hand, which is a low THC version of cannabis, is legal at the federal level. So it can be very confusing for the practitioner, and it can be really scary for a practitioner, a veterinarian who has a DEA license, to delve into this market without a lot of background knowledge and veterinarians are busy. So where the technician comes into play here, which I think is a really nice way for people to get into the consulting kind of business is as a veterinary cannabis counselor, where I don't hold a DEA license. So I don't need to worry about anyone coming after me to take away my license. Not that there's any current enforcement at the federal level around cannabis in any form, but I know that veterinarians get really concerned. So what they can do is refer to me or another cannabis counselor who has been trained and is knowledgeable about different products, about the effects of the different molecules we use to target certain disease processes. You can refer out just like you would to an orthopedic surgeon or a rehab person or whatever and say, as a veterinarian, to have a discussion with you about this. I'm not allowed to prescribe it. So we can recommend it, but we can't prescribe it. So I want you to go talk to this person who knows a lot about it. They'll educate you about how to pick a safe product, how to pick a product that's going to be effective for what you're trying to accomplish, help you set those goals that you're trying to accomplish. And then they'll keep me in the loop, just like anyone else that you would refer to, right? Any other specialty that you might refer to, you can use a cannabis counselor to do that. And I think the credential technician is in the perfect place to do that because they come with a whole host of knowledge about animal diseases and conditions. And then with a bunch of training on cannabis and the evidence behind cannabis use for different diseases and conditions. What's really nice about that is much like a referral relationship, if you have a really good relationship between a person who can provide that kind of education and counseling for your patients. And I recommend, for example, for my consultation clients that they do blood work every three months or so. And that I don't get paid for that. They don't come to me for blood work. They go to their regular vet. So it can also be income generating. And and if you create this nice relationship with a good educated counselor, it can help a practice make more money too. That's very interesting. I like the leverage of veterinary technicians into an entrepreneurship style roles. Focusing on that, how do you build the courage to jump from a full-time paid maybe benefited job from that security, whatever it might be to saying, I'm going to go out on my own and I'm going to do this and I'm going to be successful. I have a lot of people who reach out to me and say, oh, I want to be a relief technician. How, how can I do it? What do I need to do to do it? And I'm in a unique situation in that I have a spouse who had a great job with really good retirement 
benefits and a, and a good retirement package. So I am a little bit more unburdened, I think, than your typical veterinary technician or veterinary assistant. Unfortunately, my advice is if you are reliant on that income to live, don't just jump into relief all at once. You're going to have to try it on the side or being a consultant or being a quote unquote professional speaker. All of these things, unfortunately, if you're reliant on your technician job for your money, they really have to be extra things. People need to have a real drive and desire because it is going to require a lot of your time and energy on top of potentially your regular work. And I think until you have established yourself in some way, one really good way to establish yourself is become a VTS that certification confers a a level of authority and people understand what your knowledge base is, what your skill set is. That certainly allows you to market in a lot of different areas. In relief, especially when I go to a hospital and say, hey, here's my resume. They can look at my resume and see my VTS certifications and know that I'm not a person that they're going to have to come in and train how to place an IV catheter or how to monitor a critical patient or how to do CPR or any of these things. I come in as a package, as a known quantity, which makes it easier for hiring managers and gives them more confidence to bring me in to do that kind of work. And then the speaking consulting side, the more you build your portfolio that you can then share with people when you're trying to build more business. But some of that in the beginning, unfortunately, does require more effort than compensation. (laughs) And that's part of why I'm really pushing the, trying to push the industry forward for higher wages so that folks can work just one job. But what that also does, it gives you the ability and opportunity to explore other things. And that could be a certification, right? It could be going and getting the nutrition coach certification, for example, because you want to offer that in your practice, but then you find you're loving those nutritional consults so much that you want to do that on your own. And you want to offer that service to not just the clinic where you where you work your full-time job, but to other clinics in the area. So that can be a real stepping stone to doing that. Um, but a lot of it has to start, unfortunately, as a second, as a side gig. So I think you answered the toughest question I plan to close with, but I'm just going to give you an opportunity to maybe add to it. So here it is. If you could make one thing happen to improve the careers and lives of all veterinary technicians, what would it be or what resource would you need? Uh, I think the one thing that would make the biggest difference is increasing technician utilization. I think it has to start in veterinary schools. I think veterinary schools need to stop using veterinary students as free labor in their veterinary teaching hospitals, that veterinary schools need to be teaching future veterinarians how to utilize and leverage their team, all members of their team, credential technicians, assistants, kennel staff, everyone on the front desk staff. How do you leverage all of those people to create efficiencies in your practice so that you can make more revenue. We know from AVMA research that every credential technician that comes in, when you correlate it with 
licensed veterinarians, they are bringing in over $100,000 in pure profit per year to the practice. That's profit, so not just revenue. That is something that is really key for veterinarians, for owners of practices, and for managers to understand is that the more you utilize those credential technicians, the more money the practice will make. And the happier everyone will be because technicians will feel more engaged with their work, with their workplace. They will feel like they're more part of a team. We all, I think a broad generalization of technicians in clinical practice is that we are mission-driven employees. We care about our patients. We care about our clients. We care about the people that we work with, and we want to feel valued as a part of that team. And when you utilize technicians to the fullest extent of their license and education and skill level, you show that you value them. And you also show that you value them by paying them in a way that is commensurate with the amount of revenue that they're bringing into the practice for you. Uh, if you can do that, and if you can focus on keeping them engaged uh, in the practice, you're going to retain them. That's also going to save the practice more money. That means there's more money to spend on benefits and pay for these really, really valuable members of the team. And so I think of all of it is proper utilization of every task member, of every staff member at the level of their license, education, skills, and experience. The number you mentioned is quite substantial in comparison to what I would say the average technician salary is. So yeah. trickle down from effective utilization would be, I think, life-saving in many situations yeah. for our technical staff members. I totally agree I, because it's engagement. And we know that engagement is associated with better mental health. It's associated with lower feelings of uh, hopelessness. If we can engage people, and I think one of the key ways to do that is with proper utilization, um, I think we could make a really big turnaround in the industry. Well, I hope to see that corner absolutely in my career. Thank you, Liz. We've enjoyed interviewing you. We jumped all over the place and I apologize for that, but there's just so many good things to ask your perspective on. So with that, we really appreciate your time today. Thanks, Amanda. It was really great to be here with you.